This is a test of the emergency broadcast system. In five. Check for sound. Four. It's showtime. Three. Let's two, go. One. Thanks to Rode Microphones and Harlan Hogan's VoiceOverEssentials.com, the home of the Portabooth Pro. This is the Pro Audio Suite podcast with Robert Marshall from Source Elements and Someone Audio Post Chicago. Darren Robbo Robertson from Voodoo Radio Imaging Sydney. From LA, George the Tech Whitam, the Tech to the VO Stars, and me, Andrew Peters, voiceover talent and home studio guy. Welcome to another show. Uh, we have a special guest this week, and our guest is beaming in from Los Angeles, Marilyn Wisner. How are you, Marilyn? I'm great, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. I was we were trying to work out when we actually had coffee, and I think it was three years ago, <laughs> and um, which is a bit frightening because time I think is. We're due for by. another one <laughs> for sure. I think so. Maybe come here though. I think okay. it's safer. I, I would love that. I've yeah. never been there, so that would be fun. Oh, you would love it. Oh, yeah. it's a beautiful spot. Yeah, it's fantastic down here. Anywho, um, we've got our normal crew and we're going to talk this week about how things have changed in the casting of voiceover. Because, mm-hmm. Marilyn, of course, you've got your own business, which is Voices Voice Casting. But let's wind the clock back just to get some background for anybody that doesn't know. How did you start in the business? I feel like I've told this story so many times, but it's it's a good one. Um, I grew up here in Los Angeles. Uh, my dad was a TV producer. So I grew up around the industry. And uh, when I was in high school, I wanted to do acting in commercials and my parents wouldn't let me. And so <laughs> finally I convinced them, oh, it'll help pay for college. So they were cool with that as long as I just did that and I made it fun and still kept everything else in my life going. Um, so I did a lot of, uh, you know, on-camera commercials um, through high school and through college, and it, it paid for college. I went to UCLA, and um, and then I also went to Cal State Northridge, which is a state university out here, and got my degree in broadcast journalism. I wanted to be a reporter, and wow. when I graduated college, I couldn't get a job. I just could not get a job. Um, and, uh, you know, after a little while, my parents were getting nervous that I couldn't get a job. And I just said, oh, forget it. I'm, and I looked in the, the trades like every week. And I just remember one day looking in the trade, uh, the Hollywood Reporter, and I saw a job for an assistant agent. And at that time, I knew nothing about voiceover. And um, I thought, well, I could be an assistant agent. I've had agents. I know what that relationship's like. And um, I why not? I'll just see if I just go for the interview. Um, well, I went for the interview and it was with Don Pitts, who at that time was the guy that started the whole business of voiceover agenting. You know, there didn't used to be an agent specifically for voiceovers. It was, you know, your theatrical agent would handle those things back in the, the day. Wow. Um, so lucky for me, um, he was my boss and he was just a wonderful, wonderful uh, man an exceptionally kind person and his client list was the who's who of voiceover. So he, he, and he didn't, he was really chill. He would just say, Hey, yeah, um, Orson Welles is coming in today. Why don't you go direct him in the booth? Okay. Sure. And he was, by the way, he was very nice to me. He was never mean. Um, he, he wasn't around that much longer after I got hired, but, um, yeah, we had clients <laughs> like Casey do? Kasem, 
Yeah. <laughs> I didn't do anything. Coincidence. Um, he was a big man. I, re- I do remember we had this very, very narrow booth in the agency. I mean, it was narrow, literally maybe, f- you know, Four, three and a half by six. It was so wow. tiny. And um, he had to like slide in slide, sideways. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we had, we I'm had sure some. He loved it in there. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's in and out, and I just kind of was in awe and would say, okay, go, take one. Thank you. Bye. Um, but uh, um, yeah, so it was great. I, I That's how I started. And then after a couple of years there, um, the voice caster, which at that time was the only voice casting facility in the country, this was pre-internet, um, asked me if I wanted to come on board and be a casting director. And I thought, yeah, I kind of want to do that. It seemed a little more creative than the agenting side of things. And I went there and I fell in love with casting. And again, because this was pre-internet, the voiceover community was pretty much this big group of actors here in LA and maybe some in New York. And it was the creme de la creme of voiceover talent. You know, you would open that lobby door and it was just... It was magical, and and there was about four of us girls that worked these little booths all day long, and I would be casting a couple commercials in the morning, and then after lunch, maybe an animation series, and then later afternoon, a narration project for a TV show, and the next day, a whole nother group of things happened, and it was it was really, really fun, and I, I fell in love with casting, and um, then I decided to open up my own place in 1990, and uh, that's when Voices Voice Casting was born, and fortunately for me, some of the great ad agencies came with me from the other place, and... Um, since then, I've cast, you know, just thousands and thousands of radio and TV commercials and uh, animation series and feature films and ADR and narrations and in-show narrations and e-learning and audiobooks, video games, whatever. Um, in fact, two days ago was our 30-year anniversary. So oh, well done. I'm very excited Congrats. about that. Very proud of that. Years, wow. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Before we move on, just quickly, that some something that people might find useful. I remember when I started out as an audio engineer, I remember my first session that was like paid talent coming in because my first job was at a radio station. And I was car-carring myself because it was like, you know, I can't screw this up because if these people leave and I've done something wrong, I haven't got the recording right, we've got to pay them to come back. What's it like as someone in the same situation, you starting out and, and being told Orson Welles is coming in, can you deal with it? How, how do you deal with that mentally? You must have been off the scale. Shitting your pants, Shitting your basically. pants, basically, yes. I, I don't, you know, um, I have to say, I think because I grew up in the business, you know, my dad being a TV producer, I was around actors and sets and, um, you know, Hollywood or whatever. And having been an actor, I... It, it, it didn't really phase me. I mean, I, obviously, I was in awe of these people and their unbelievable, undeniable talent. And um, but I didn't act like an idiot in front of them. And again, I'm ne- I've never claimed to be a tech savvy person. But back then, it was like we were doing everything on quarter inch tape, and you know, you just make sure you thread it through and push record, and you know, that was pretty much it. And then, of course, we transferred to cassette tape, and you know, um, but I just didn't let myself get there. I don't know why it just it it didn't it didn't happen to me. I never really got starstruck, you know. Um, and even now, I mean, even you know, I, I've met some pretty amazing, you know, big stars, if you will, and they're just people. And and the one thing about voiceover, I have to say, 
it is to me sort of the great delineator between who's a really good actor and who's just pretty, you know, because yes. <laughs> it's very difficult to mm-hmm. make a piece of copy come to life and not sound yeah. like you're reading well, it. Well, that so, explains a lot. I mean, that's yeah. why my career has never gone anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, and you're George, pretty, I mean, George. you've been around, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah, George is pretty. You've been around some amazing celebrities, you know, here in L.A., and it's, it's a lot of them, I have seen some major diva moments in the booth um, because they suddenly think, oh, I'll do voiceover, this is easy, and then they get in the booth and they realize how difficult it is, you know, because you think, oh, I get to cheat. I can read this script. And then when I say, no, can you try this? Because it sounds like you're reading and I want you to sound like you're talking to me and let's do this. And I've seen some some actors get, you know, very humbled and some get, they, they just start building up that insecurity. And it's, it's, it's a very interesting position to be in. But I just went way off on your question, but no, but, no, uh, yeah, no, it's perfect. Well, it's, I, of- I saw there's actually a video that I saw the other day, which was uh, behind the scenes of I can't even think of the movie. It could have been Shrek or something. I don't know who, what, which movie it was, but it was a, it was basically an A list of actors and actresses doing the voiceover, and you could see which ones actually could act, mm. mm-hmm. and you could see which ones you're talking about. Pretty girls and boys who basically get on camera because they look good. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, uh-huh. I, I cast a lot of the voices on Shrek, the first Shrek. Um, uh-huh. Not the celebrity voices, but all the, you know, the, the, the character voices, you know. And it's interesting, those guys are fantastic, but... It's interesting. It's it's a lot of those kind of journeyman voiceover actors that are that pick up the slack and make a major animation film, which they have to get the celebrities for the money and all that um, for the the box office. But it's those journeyman actors that make the film so much better. Mm. Yeah, with what they contribute. It's interesting. I'll tell you one actor that stood out though on that that video I watched was Antonio Banderas, and you realize oh, yeah, just yeah. how good an actor mm-hmm. he is. He's fabulous. And yeah. puss. Yeah. In boots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Stole his character was he like uh, Shrek 3 or something like that. Yeah. yeah. I don't mm-hmm. think, or I can't remember, but it wasn't the yeah. first one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So how has, uh, you know, casting, obviously it's changed a lot. I remember when I was an audio engineer in the 90s and the talent would come in, you would record them, there'd be someone kind of giving them the amount of direction they were allowed to give. There were certain rules you know, at the end of the day, we're picking selects, making a CD, getting it all done before FedEx, yeah, <laughs> getting it out the door. Oh my God, we made it. Thank yeah. God we didn't have to use like Quick International and pay a billion dollars to right? this thing. <laughs> and then now it's like the whole thing is is replaced by a bot, probably. Yeah. Um, like, like, how has it changed? Well, I sure miss those days. Um, the thing is, everybody wants everything yesterday, and and so it that part's a little frustrating, and it's definitely not only changed, you know, how we deliver the talent to our clients, but also it's affected budgets, um, it's affected the the talent pool. It's almost like spread so thin, but so vast at the same time because there's so many more talent available. There's so many more resources available to get talent. Um, Honestly, to be a voiceover actor now, you don't, you know, I I can't imagine anybody making near the money that they used to make back in the day um, because it's just so heavily saturated. Um, And for us casting directors, like I was saying, they want everything yesterday. You know, we often will get a call and they'll say, 
yeah, we're in a rush. Um, give us the 10 best people that can do the script. Here's the specs. And of course, as a casting director, I try to um, glean as much information from them as I can on, on their specs. And, you know, of course, to help my casting and to get the best talent for them. And then um, I've got a, you know, my brain goes into overdrive and I can instantly like put down 10 names right away and get the great talent in and get that right back to them. But um you know, it's it's hard on us in a way because we know that they could go to an online casting service and get it done for free. They might not get as great a talent, you know, but that's a choice they do have. Um, they know that if they hire a casting director, we're going to, you know, walk them through the process, do all the, you know, uh, union checks or non-union checks, do all that kind of stuff for them um, and get them the best talent, not the B and C and D level talent. So the game has really changed at, at, besides just, you know, the, the delivery process has changed yeah, as well. I, I see the, the biggest change, which is it used to be the uh, writers might have a moment to interact and meet the talent, give them a few directions, mm-hmm. and and then there is a limited pool. Yep. And and now I would what, what what I hear is writers and art directors really dreading the idea of like oh god the casting's in and they have to go through and listen to a hundred if they're lucky more like five hundred MP3s and no one really gets a proper listen to. They're just like, you know, like the first couple words and they're just like moving on with each one going, nope, nope, nope. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it, in a way, it, it doesn't serve anybody. No. Um. <laughs> well, that's why, you know, and, and always that's, you know, part of sort of how we market too. It's that, you know, we have weeded through all those, you know, 490 right. talents. So we'll give you the, the 10 best out of those 500 or whatever. So, um, that's why you hire a casting director. You know, we, we will do all that for you. And I don't go, I never post anything online on any online casting service um, because I don't need to, you know? And um, so that has always been an appeal with my clients. And I've had many clients that, you know, have used us. And then maybe after a while, they decide to try and go do some online casting. They always come back, you know, it might be a couple years, it might be a couple months. And they always say, God, I tried it. It was a nightmare and and so on. So um, it it makes me happy. But at the same time, it's kind of crazy now. It's just a a totally different way of uh, finding talent and sifting through all the other stuff to get to the best talent. It seems that like sometimes a lot of agents end up just in a position where they're just putting the word out and then, you know, it's like, do they listen to these before they upload them? Or are they just like, here, oh, I got one. Okay, forward it to the hopper and put it into the machine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there's plenty of times you get casting and you say, for instance, uh, must be local talent or something it used to happen. Yeah. And, uh, and then all the, all the stuff comes back and it's like, they're not local. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what do we hire you for to do the casting of? (laughs) It's not going to be what we need. Right. Right. But see, a casting director will will be very specific when they put those specs out. You know, we'll we will say things like must do this, must be union or non union, must be local, must have Source Connect. You know, everything. You know, our client could possibly want. And again, so there's no surprises at the end because that's 
what usually ends up happening when they do go online sometimes. So, um, and not to say online's bad, it's not, it's, it's great. It, you know, it's just that it's a different way of doing things and, and we're more like the handholding way. And human, I, I always say we're human, we're not a bot, you know? Yeah, but do you see a combination, I know we've had this discussion before, but do you see a, 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 in the future a combination of both what you're doing and an online business? Do you see them merging together at any time? Not by choice, no. but by force? No, <laughs> I don't. I I don't know how. Um, and, I mean, I, I admit that it's not going away. Um, and again, like I said, it's not a bad thing because some people, you know, um, just simply have a very tight budget. They can't afford casting. And by the way, casting directors have had to lower their rates because they're competing now for a lot of the sites that are free. Um, but that is, you know, kind of why you hire a casting director because it's everything you're not going to get on an online casting site. Um, right, so, but this is different than an agent. I mean, you're talking specifically about a casting mm-hmm. director not going to an agent saying, "Hey, have some people read this and upload us their their right, um, right." Because the casting director is kind of going through and picking out what what they think would would be the right stuff so that someone doesn't have to listen to 500 of them. We get hired from an advertising agency or a production company to say, find their voice for this product. And then... Then I get on the phone and I'm talking with the producer and I some, you know, the copywriter and, you know, just glean everything I can from what they're thinking, what their vision is and so on. And then I will go and, and then say, oh, okay, I know I'm going to get so-and-so and so this from this agency and so-and-so and so-and-so from that agency. And then also because I'm a voiceover coach, I have, you know, just a huge database of talent all over the country or local or wherever that might fit the voice and you know, it's not their fault. They don't have an agent. They just didn't get, they don't have one or something. So I can send copy to them. So a casting director will kind of, you know, really fine tune and streamline and weed out and, and do all of that. Um, if I just blindly send the copy to the agent, yes, there are some agents that will send me 40 talent. <laughs> right. I don't I, you know, I'm on the first pass of listening to auditions and I know not just my office does it this way. I know all casting directors mostly do it this way. On the first pass, I just listen to the first line because I can tell from the first line, you know, does does she fit the voice they're looking for? Does she sound interesting? Did she did she do something interesting with that first line and so on? So, um then I take, you know, that and narrow it down and, and so on. So just because an agent submits 30 people to me does not mean I'm submitting all those 30 people. Right. And I'm sure that's the part of your job you like the least is like having to go through that first glut of like, oh, I got a hundred of these to listen to. You know what? I actually don't, I actually don't mind it. I, I, I think that's why I've been doing this so long <laughs> because I mean, sometimes if it's really like if ev- the first word is introducing, you know, it's like, oh my God, introducing, introducing, you know, uh, yes. you know, something that's so kind of unnatural to say, but I just get really excited anyway when I get a casting job in. It makes me happy, you know, so I'm really happy because I want to be the one that finds that voice for them. So uh, it's, it could get, yeah, it can get tedious, but I do get really excited because it makes me super proud when I finally see that job we worked hard on on TV or hear it on the radio or, you know, something like that. From those list of 30, will you, mm-hmm. do you then generate a list, even if they're not, even if you find someone who you like, but you know they're not right for what you're casting for, do you then keep a database 
of yes. those voices? Do you then go, hey, yes. they were good, but they weren't right for that. But geez, I reckon down the track, I'll find something for Absolutely. them. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 We have, I have a huge database. Mm. And then I'll make a little note, like uh, heard him on, you know, the Ford spot or something. Yep. And so then I can cross-reference it with those auditions or something like that. Yeah, wow. Nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, how often does the audio quality stop them right in their tracks? Like, you know, you hear the first, do you, does the audio quality, the audition throw you off the scent like immediately before yes. you even catch the acting? Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's what um, I've been telling people. I just want to make sure. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's, you should. Uh, and, you know, George, George has always been really good about that. And it's amazing though. I still will get auditions from some of the biggest agencies out here and, I realize, oh, somebody didn't do their, you know, quality control and listen back to these auditions. And I've had to call that agent and say, gosh, you know, uh, George is great. He sounds great on this, but I can't hear him. I could barely hear him. Or there was a lot of background noise or something like that. Can you just have him send me another one right away? And they're always really good about that. But but it's disturbing, yeah. It's not just the audition you're auditioning. You're auditioning their studio more than ever, right? Absolutely. Aren't you going to assume almost... Before, like especially with bigger name talent, bigger agencies, the audition quality probably wasn't quite as heavy weighted because mm-hmm. maybe it's a commercial. You know, they're going to go into a studio, blah blah blah. But ninety nine percent of that's not going into a studio. Ninety nine percent of it's probably going to be recorded in their own home. You're right. So and that quality, that audition, is now auditioning more than ever at the studio. Right. I mean, is that is that what's going on now? It's totally what's going on because my clients asking that these actors have you know their pro home studio set up with with you know all the bells and whistles, including of course you know the great uh, treated booth and everything. And if they don't have that, and they're just talking into their you know Apple phone or something, it's not it's not going to work. Um, and it's frustrating on our end because we're very specific in the casting specs when we put that out, you know, must have pro home studio, must have source connect, must have, you know, whatever. And then when you get the audition and you don't hear that, um, if I don't, if I didn't like the person's read, then it wouldn't matter. And I just wouldn't even say anything, you know, just take them off the call anyway. But if the person I know is a good actor or I could, you know, I know they've got, a shot at this then I get back to them or the agent and say uh, you need to fix this so and and yeah. I don't think anybody that I can think of right now hasn't done that when I asked um, hasn't turned it around pretty quickly after I asked what about I, I'm not sure whether this is an issue in the states but I have an issue here in Australia with some of the bigger voice agencies one comes to mind in particular, three letters, no names or pack drill, um, <laughs> that just have decided in the last few years that to compete with these online fivers and stuff, that they're just going to pack their books. They were once, well, certainly in Sydney anyway, they were the elite sort of voiceover agency. But now you go on their website, there's a thousand different voices. And you you listen through and you find someone that you think, okay, they're different, they're good, I, their demo sounds good, let's give them a whirl. Yet you get them online and they have no idea. They've clearly right. spent three days, four days, five days building a two-minute demo and then when they're expected to repeat it, they can't. Is that an issue over there or is that more an Australian thing? Um I'd like to say it's not so much of an issue over here because the big agents out here, if they are considering representing you, pretty much bigger and smaller agents here, um, they have an interview with you first. And 
all of them will put you in the booth with, you know, eight to 10 pieces of copy and make you perform it right then and there. You know, okay, you're going to do three commercials and now do this promo and now try this narration spot and maybe a character thing. So they put you on the spot because you have to be able to replicate what's on your demo. And it's just, it's too competitive uh, out there not only between the agents, of course, but with the talent, for them not to have, you know, a good actors on there. That's not to say there aren't some that squeak in and, you, you know, it happens, but I, I think it's a pretty thorough kind of rigorous process. And every agency is different. There's some agents, um, agencies out here that if, like, the commercial department really likes you, the whole agency has to like you. That means the promo department, the animation department, and whatever else. But then there's other agencies, it's like, uh, if they only want you in the commercial department, fine, you're going to have to figure out how to get into the promo department or whatever. So each agency sort of has their own protocols, but they all... Um, have a pretty thorough interviewing and vetting process with you mm-hmm. before representing you. Well, I find interesting this uh, recent thing. I noticed that there are auditions coming from a different party, like a management, a voice management oh, company, yeah. that just gets passed down to the agents for the agents to pass on to the talent to audition. Because you see the 10 plus 10 on the, on the spec sheet, and it's like, 10 plus 10, what does this mean? Are there two people in the pie, you know? You're saying that the manager is sending the copy to the agent to to put whoever they wanted on there. Yeah, so it's it's got ah. the two two commissions. That's interesting. I haven't seen that. Um, what is there's there's a couple of managers um, that I've seen out here that are sort of acting as agents now too. Um, so it's kind of an interesting thing going on. But but they but I'm pretty sure they don't send copy to the talent agents because that sort of defeats the purpose of being a manager because then they're not, you know, looking out for only their talent. Um, at least that's the way it is here. Yeah, yeah, but this is kind of, this, uh, this is coming from the States. So, I, you know, oh. I'm trying to work out. So, um, based on oh, that, what is, what is the I'm, difference I'm between... I'm fascinated by that because now that you said that, maybe they can only do that in a, a foreign country. Because legally, I don't think you can do that here. At least in California, you can't. What if it's non-union? Anything goes. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because that's an interesting. So, what what is the definition of a manager and an agent? What is the difference? That's a really good question. It used to be that a manager was kind of like, uh, the way I used to always say it, it was sort of like the extra eyes and ears for the talent. Because say say you were with a particular agency and maybe you really wanted to do promos, but their promo department you know, just didn't have room for you or didn't quite get you or j- whatever, um, or you're not getting a lot of the auditions or something. So there's not that there's a ton of managers out there anyway, but... So the managers kind of came up as um, like, okay, well, we are really um, connected with all the promo, uh, the networks, and we're connected with the trailer houses and stuff. So that's kind of how it started. They were sort of like helping you get stuff that you couldn't get from your agent. And so then a few years ago, um, there were a couple more, you know, quote unquote managers on the scene that started representing people that had no representation and then kind of acting like agents 
but also managers. And it was, it's kind of still confusing. And I'm, I'm not sure kind of legally how they do that. And I've never gotten a straight answer from any one of them. So I don't even really know. Um, and they're all really good. And, you know, I'm sure they're all really nice people. I just don't know how it works or um, how the agents can work with that. So it's, it's a, a little bit of blurred lines kind of going on there. Yeah, it is quite confusing. And then when you see things like that, it's kind of odd. Um, but talking about um, uh, briefs and stuff on auditions, I got a really strange one. I've never seen this before. And it was to narrate a documentary. And the brief said, uh, we would love you to ad lib. You can change the copy. We don't care. Just be different. Don't sound like a typical documentary narrator. Do something really different. Are you a fan of that kind of idea? I love the idea of actors ad-libbing because we are hearing you, we're hearing the way you speak, the way you have your natural inflections and intonations, and um, it really kind of shows off your acting skill as opposed to just like great reading skill. Um, I think with narration, you can't ad-lib too much because you know you're telling somebody else's story and you can't editorialize really but um, I think for audition purposes especially it's just kind of a nice thing to do because they get to hear your personality and they also can real you know kind of know what they might be able to do with you at the session so I'm, I'm a big fan of that I love when actors ad lib in their commercial auditions all the time so you would say the first thing you say should be some kind of an ad-lib so you catch someone's ear when they're going trawling through, a you know, a hundred auditions, I guess. You can do a little lead-in um, and it can be related to the first line or two of the copy or sort of the general topic of the copy, but it, it also breaks up the, um, the, the casting session a little bit. If somebody is coming in with a different line and we're only listening to the first line on the first pass of listening to all the auditions, it makes you stand out. Well, AP, I reckon uh, you should probably ad-lib an ending to this episode because I reckon Mary Lynn might have to come back next week because I'm having such a good time. I absolutely come back next week and we've got some absolute chestnuts in next week's show. We cover AI, the changing of the industry over the last 30 years, home studios, the good side and the bad side, doing ADR from home, commercial studios used as hubs, What's their future? Opinion versus science. Endorsements, the bullshit factor, <laughs> demos, and post-COVID. I think we've covered a lot there. That's for next week. Yeah, the bullshit factor might cover our show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and how great are we? Uh, Let's dear. face it. Absolutely. That's right. See you next week, then. Next week. This show was mixed by Voodoo Sound. Edit by Andrew Peters. Using Source Connect Now and Rode Microphones with technical support from George the Tech Whittem. Don't forget to subscribe and like us. You look for